we've been walking through this series out of Second Timothy, and it's been uh, it's been really fun. You know, I, uh, I I talk about how we do different kinds of things. We do series, and we just walk verse by verse. And we do all of the stuff here, and we've been walking verse by verse through this letter, and it is one of the most incredible letters in the Bible. It's Second Timothy, and it's the last letter that Paul ever wrote. He's writing from prison. And uh, he's been imprisoned by Nero. Nero's the emperor. And uh, the, the culture and the tide has changed. Uh, Rome is now uh, blaming Christians for some of the stuff that's been going on. They're imprisoning Christians. They're beginning the process of, of, of trying to exterminate them. And they're being executed and, and made sport of. And Paul finds himself imprisoned. And he knows the eventual outcome of this, barring God doing a miracle, is that he is going to be put to death. And he writes a letter to Timothy. And Timothy's his protege. Timothy is someone he refers to time and time again in his letters as my son in the Lord. It's someone he has mentored and poured his life into. And Timothy traveled with him as they planted and started some churches. But Timothy now has an assignment as a pastor at one of the most critical churches that Paul started, a church in a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus is this uh, amazing city where if you read Acts chapter 19, and we won't go over all of it every time, but if you read Acts chapter 19, when Ephesus when the gospel came to Ephesus and people started following Jesus in Ephesus, it literally changed the entire culture of the community. People started serving God and getting rid of their idols and things that they were that were causing them to be distracted from God. And Ephesus was this big port city, this very important kind of metropolis city. And it says that, that basically all of this area of Asia began to serve God. And so many people were serving God that businesses that made their money peddling stuff that you wouldn't want to get peddled in your neighborhood, but they were able to do it because of the nature of this city, they started not being able to make money anymore. As a matter of fact, they got so frustrated that the business owners came together and they wanted to kill off the Christians, but there was no crime they had committed. They just stopped going to these businesses that were not reputable. And so the entire culture of this community changes as the gospel comes. And it's such a picture of hope. Whenever you feel like there's just, what difference can we make? Here's the difference we can make when we start sharing the story of what Jesus has done in our life and people start hearing and finding hope and finding the kind of love and compassion in the arms of Jesus that we experience, it changes entire communities. So that was the story of Ephesus and this church explodes on the scene and it's one of Paul's just like critical apex churches and then something happens over time. Ephesus is this place where, you know, trade happens through there and sailors come to town. It's a port city and, uh, and like some uh, cities that are like this, over time, these outsiders that come in, they're looking for the same type of entertainment that they used to get. And so there's now money to be made there again. And the culture has, goes from this culture where we're committed to Jesus and we're, we're living for Jesus to it begins this slow kind of migration back away from God. And so the church is, in the, is facing this, this change and this transition. And, you know, I, I kind of refer to Ephesus kind of like Vegas. People come and party and then they leave. And so what happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus, we joked about a couple weeks ago. And so this is the kind of community that, that Timothy finds himself pastoring the church of God in. And so Paul writes this letter from one of the most doom and gloom places. He's in a prison. He's likely in a hole in the ground. 
and he's writing a letter to encourage Timothy and to encourage the church. He knows this letter is going to be written to the read in front of the whole church. And he's telling him, this is what it's going to have to take for you guys to keep following Jesus when I'm not there to kind of keep coaching you, to keep kind of parenting you in the Lord. You're going to have to step up. You're going to have to grow up now. You're going to have to be the ones who lead this thing into the next generation. And so he begins giving him tools and we've talked about some tools. We talked about courage and he says, you're gonna have to have courage and you're not gonna have a spirit of intimidation. No one can intimidate you. Intimidators come in and try to lean on you and push you off the position that you are, you've put your feet down in. He says, you don't have a spirit of intimidation. You have to have power. You have to fan into flame the power that you got from me. He says, you gotta have that. And then he says, you're gonna have to be shameless in telling your story. There is power in your story and you're gonna have to tell the story of what God's done. You gotta have confidence and be shameless in telling your story over and over again. You can't let anyone intimidate you where you don't wanna tell your story of what God's done. And then he goes on and he talks about, you're gonna have to be holiness. You're gonna have to be, you're gonna have to be set apart and identified as on being on God's team. And so he's given him all of these tools and we're gonna walk into another tool today that he gives them in the middle of this conversation. And it's this tool of this. He says, you're going to have to have maturity. Wah, 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 wah. That's not exciting, Pastor Mike, but it's so important. He says, you're going to have to have maturity. You're going to have to be the grown-up in the room sometimes. Now, listen, if you're here and, and you got dragged here because someone promised to give you lunch afterwards, I'm so glad you're here. And you're just checking things out and you're kind of like, I'm not sure what I think about all this stuff. Some of the things I say today, they're probably gonna be things that I'm gonna challenge people who are following Jesus to do and behave this way. And some of the reasons maybe you haven't been too church friendly in the past is you've seen people who say they're followers of Jesus, but they haven't behaved very maturely. And that inconsistency has been a question for you. And so you're gonna kind of get to see the family deal with some family issues. And Paul's writing to the family saying, we gotta deal with some family issues. And those of us who uh, would say, yeah, I'm following Jesus. Like I'm not perfect, but I'm on a journey and I'm trying to figure it out. Today, you are without excuse. This is for you. And so, uh, so you have to deal with this, even though it's not always the most comfortable thing. And Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, you gotta grow up. You've got to be the adult in the room. Sometimes it's frustrating when you feel that way. Ever been in that spot where you're with a group of people and suddenly the conversation or the behavior goes to a place where you're kind of like, oh, I'm not really, this isn't, I don't like this. And you have that little pinch in, in, in your soul and the Holy Spirit kind of, kind of knocks. Hey, this joking's gone too far. This thing we're doing isn't in the right place. This is now gossip and not conversation. Something's shifted, something's changed. And suddenly you go, oh, I'm gonna have to say something. I'm gonna have to be the grown-up in the room. I'm gonna have to be the one who goes, this isn't how we do this, guys. I don't really, I can't keep, I can't keep having this conversation. I don't think we should talk about that person when they're not here. I don't, like, you know that pressure point of maturity? That's such a frustrating thing. I remember the first time this really happened to me in a way that, that I, I was surprised by. Because it's easy if you're like significantly older than everyone else in the room, you kind of go, okay, fine, I'm the grown up in the room, right? But it's tough when you're with your peers. And it's tough when you're, when you're with folks that are even older than you. Ooh. And you're watching the behavior and you're like, ah, why do I have to be the grown up in the room? I was... 
for a couple of years, I had a, I had a job where I oversaw all the summer camps, all the youth summer camps up and down the West Coast. So LA, Northern California, Oregon, Eastern and Western Washington. I ran, I oversaw those camps. Each camp had a director, but I was responsible for them. And the reason that they hired me to do this job is that most of the guys that they were hiring to run the camps didn't have a lot of experience running big programs like that. They were leaders and they were godly men and women, but they just didn't have experience running it. So there was a lot of problems that would happen, simple things like, um, you know, just not checking all the boxes, making sure the insurance stuff was done, all the technical things, all, all the stuff that's not exciting stuff to do. So I got the job of basically being the guy to make sure that you did your job right. And that's not the funnest job in the world. Right. And so I walk in and it's kind of like you've been in charge, but now that I'm here, I'm in charge. That's a tough spot sometimes to walk into. So I'm down in uh, Northern California at a camp and I'm just visiting and, you know, there's all this tension because I'm asking them questions like their budget and, you know, things that things that people don't want to deal with with somebody else. And and uh, and so I'm that guy and I'm there and I'm hanging out at the camp and it's going well. And I, I'm, you know, I'm only there for a couple days and, you know, the message goes great. And I watch the service. And they're praying with kids. I'm like, this is awesome. This is going great. And so the next thing on the agenda is a, uh, a thing that they call the after party. And I'm asking somebody, I'm like, what's the after party? And they're like, oh, you're going to love it. It's awesome. Okay. So this camp, now we're in Northern California, so it's sunny and nice out, so they do a lot of out, outdoor things there. Um, you know, you could actually plan and execute outdoor things like we're hoping to do next week. But, uh, <laughs> but, it, but they're doing an outdoor thing. And so their, their evening activities, there's a big bonfire, and they have like this uh, amphitheater area, and they got like all this lighting and stage stuff. And, and the, the after party is a hour-long dance party. That's just the last thing that happens every night at camp. And I was like, that's kind of weird, but okay, let's see what happens here. So I walk out to the after party, and I can hear the beat going, right? It's just, it's just hitting. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. And suddenly I go, wait a second. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I recognize this song. This song should not be playing at summer camp. Why is this song playing at summer camp? This is an environment where we've come to get away from all of this. Why is this song playing? So I walk over towards the DJ, and I assume the DJ is probably one of our guys that we know, and, uh, and he's not. He's just someone that was hired out to come and basically DJ the after party, right? And so I walk over, and I'm like, hey, uh, question for you. This is, this is a strange song to play here. He goes, oh, yeah, they said play whatever I want, but uh, just scratch out any of the swear words. And so he's playing this song, dunk, dunk, and it gets to a place where the person swears, and he's like, whoop, whoop, and then he's just playing and playing. And then sometimes he misses, though, and he's like a half step late, you know? So you get like the, 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 the beginning of a swear word, and I won't, I won't say the beginning of any swear words because it's like putting it in your head, but you get like the beginning, and then it's whoop, whoop, and it's just more like a dragged out syllable, and it's like even more pronounced than if they just let him swear, you wouldn't know what was happening right there. And I'm like, this can't be the, the plan, who made this plan? This is a bad plan. There's other things happening with the dancing stuff. And I was just like, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to be the grown-up. Let me go figure out who's in charge. And I looked around, and then it dawns on me, oh, crud, I'm in charge. I'm going to have to be the buzzkill who shuts down the after party because the after party has just become the heathen party, and that's not what we're doing here. I had to be that guy. It was the worst and the guys that were running it were all my age. They were all my peers. They were guys I went to junior high and high school with in Northern California who had stuck around and done stuff. And I had to be the guy who was like, come on, guys. Like, we got to use a little bit better choices than this. And they're like, oh, you just, you don't understand Northern California culture. I'm like, dude, 
I am Northern California culture. You don't understand that when we do this thing that we do here, we don't bring all of the culture with us. We can actually get away from some of that from time. So I had to be the grown up in the room. It was the worst. It was the worst. And you know that feeling. You've been in that environment. You've been at work hanging out and everyone's just talking and suddenly the conversation come on, goes to a place where you're like, oh, that shouldn't be the thing we're talking about. And you're frustrated. And we get into those tension spots. And I remember having to sit down with these guys who were running the program and after the after party, having the after party meeting and saying, guys, we can't do this. Oh, we could do this. No, we can't be these guys. We've got to set the bar higher. And I remember the tension and trying to bring some accountability into the conversation. And here's the thing about maturity. Maturity, maturity is enabled by accountability. Maturity is enabled by accountability. You have to have some people in your life who go, hey, that kind of looks like over the line. That doesn't look solid. That doesn't look like, that's not consistent with who you say you are, with the behavior that you say you want to have. This looks a little bit awkward. That note doesn't ring like it's in tune. And so maturity is enabled by accountability. We were designed, and this is Paul writing a letter to bring some accountability to Timothy. He's saying, you're gonna have to grow up and here's some of the ways you're gonna have to do it. Here's some of the behaviors that are gonna have to change. Here's a little accountability so you can't say, I didn't know I couldn't do that. That's not gonna be the answer that we're allowed to do. But this isn't easy. It's not easy. You know what's easy? Just going with the flow. It's easy when something's going on and you're like, oh, I don't really like this, to just kind of do the nervous, like, I'm not comfortable, but I'll just kind of do a fake laugh so that we can move on, right? Hey, let me tell you this really inappropriate joke. And you're like, ha, ha, ha. And then you just kind of move on, right? Let me tell you this story about so-and-so. And you're like, ha, ha, ha. And you just kind of move. It's much easier. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? We do that because we don't want to lose relationship with people. We want to impress them. We want to be included in the group. We don't want to be labeled or ostracized or left out of the group and not included, thought to be uncool. We're not willing to do that. And we forget sometimes that the only person we're called, those of us who follow Jesus, to impress is God. The only person we're called to impress is God. It's not our job to impress everyone else, to try to be accepted by everyone else. There's pressure there to do it, but that's not our responsibility. And we lose that. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, who are we trying to impress? We leave a situation and we're like, ah, oh, that didn't feel good at all. And just have to ask ourselves, who was I trying to impress? Why did I want them to like me so much? Why was that more important than saying what was right or doing what was right or getting out of that environment? So here's Paul writing a letter to Timothy and he's gonna push on these two things. He's gonna push on accountability and growing and maturing and, and impressing God and staying faithful to God in this. And, and he's writing this letter to Timothy and, and it's pretty cool because Timothy's in this weird situation where he's now re watching over the church that Paul planted, that Paul loves. He's got a, a responsibility to watch it. I was thinking it's kind of like, you know, uh, those of you that are parents, the first time you really left your child with a babysitter. You know the pressure that you felt the first time you left your child with baby? Some of you were just like, yes, and you ran away. But, but most of us, that wasn't until the third time we left our child with a babysitter, right? The first time, we were like, oh, this is so tense. 
Let's go over everything one more time. You have my number. I'm not going more than six miles away. I can be back in eight minutes. I already decided I'm gonna come back 30 minutes earlier than I said, but I just wanted to get, you know, like you're already like, you have this massive checklist. How are you with this? Do you know this? Here's this number. This neighbor can come over. Like you're just, ah, you're babying that thing because that's your baby. And Paul has now left Timothy in charge of one of his babies. This church, this beautiful, influential church with these great people who Paul loves and Timothy's in charge. And he's like, listen, you're the babysitter. So you're going to have to be the grown-up. There's nothing worse, parents, than you get a babysitter and you're like, oh, I'm not sure that they're, they're going to make good choices. I'm not sure that they're going to be the grown-up. I'm not sure that they're going to be responsible, right? And immediately you're just like, nah, hard pass on this. Oh, my plans fell through. Let me just go ahead and take you back home, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Because you're counting on that person to be responsible and to be mature. So that's kind of the tone that it shifts right here. And Paul shifts this tone. He's saying, I'm counting on you now to be mature. And this is gonna be read to the whole body because I'm counting on the body, all of us believers, to start being the grown-up in the room and to be mature. He wants him. He's been building towards this conversation. Two weeks ago when we were here, uh, he, earlier in the chapter, he started using some illustrations and he started saying things like, you're gonna train like an athlete who wants to compete according to the rules to win. And we joked about how if you had to run a lap in a race, that if you just took a hard right and ran through the middle of the track and then ran and broke the tape, that would be insane, right? You'd be like, I won. Everybody like, that's not how you run the race. You don't win if you don't compete according to the rules. Otherwise, you get an asterisk and an 80-game suspension. You're not eligible for the playoffs. <laughs> I love taking that shot. All my heroes from growing up playing baseball were cheaters. So I grew up in the Conseco era. So all my heroes have asterisks by their names. So I love that you, that you guys have one there now too. <laughs> it's like, yes, we're family. Um, <laughs> right? But you got to compete according to the rules or you get an asterisk or you get eliminated. He says that's, that's part of it. And then he says you are like a, like a soldier who when you hear orders, you want to please your commanding officer. He says, it would be insane, especially in that culture in Rome, for a Roman soldier to get a command to be told, hey, we're going to march this way. And you'd be like, nah, man, I really like Ephesus. Have you, have you hung out here before? Like the party is rocking in Ephesus. And so I'm not going to be a soldier with, with you. I'm not going to do the orders that you asked me to do. They would kill you immediately. They would hang you probably on a cross at the front of the city to make an example of you for your friends. That's how that culture was. It would have been insane for a soldier to just blow off an order from a commanding officer. And he's like, hey, you've got orders from a commanding officer. You should pay attention to the orders. And then he also says, hey, you're like a, like a farmer and you work hard right now for a reward that comes later. And you work diligently and faithful right now, but you don't see the reward right now. When a farmer starts the work, there's no instant gratification. It's just work. Believing in faith for a reward that comes later. So he's used these three illustrations to kind of set up his point, and he's moving us towards this conversation about maturity, and he pushes us forward. And if you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 14 is where I am at. Let's see here. Verse 14, he says this. He goes, keep reminding them of these things. So he's talking about the elect and the people who are uh, called to be followers of God. And he's talking to Timothy and he's like, you're gonna have to keep reminding them of these things. 
warn them, this is beautiful, before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Woo! We're off to a smashing start here. Some of you, if you just catch this part, this will change your whole outlook on life. This will change your relationships. This will be so helpful for you. But let me start at the beginning. He says, keep reminding them and warn them. He's establishing accountability. He's saying, you're gonna have to get into relationship with some people, know them, and your job is gonna be to keep reminding them, call it out, and to warn them. Let me ask you this. Is there anyone in your life that warns you about stuff? That, you, that knows you well enough to warns you about stuff that's in your life, that's personal to you. They know enough about your life that they can warn you. It says warns them before God. Is there anyone who you trust, who you know well enough, who can warn you before God? Who could say, you know what? This doesn't feel really good. We're having this conversation and I care about you and I love you, but you know what this feels like? This feels like you have some unforgiveness in you. You know what this feels like? This feels like something is uh, inconsistent. Like maybe your priorities are a little out of whack. I hear you and I'm here for you and, and I love you and I care for you. But as someone who loves you and knows that you love God, this doesn't feel like your priorities are right. It feels like you're chasing after some things that are become more important to you than maybe the first things. Hey, you know what? Before God, can I just see how you're doing? How, how are you doing with that issue that's been going on in your life that seems to surface every once in a while? Feels like things are getting out of whack right now. Are you, have, is, is, is that coming up at all? Is there anyone in your life who you know, who, who you have a relationship with, who's in a circle with you, who can warn you before God? Having people in our lives that can warn us what we don't see sometimes is coming, it helps us and it's critical to our maturity. He says, we're gonna have to be mature. We're gonna have to have people in our life who warn us. You can't run from that. If you're running from relationships with people who warn you stuff, then you're running towards immaturity. You're running away from maturity. He says, we're designed for that. You have to have that. So Paul's telling Timothy, we gotta warn people, and then he's gonna deal with some specific issues, but he's gonna deal a lot with this quarreling about words, getting into arguments, fighting about things. He's talking to church people here. And I don't know about you, but there's some pretty good fights that can break out among church people. We get all over the place. And he's like, these fights, these arguments that we're getting into, this nitpicking, this back and forth, they do not have any value. Stop fighting over and over about it. It just ruins the people who are listening. He says, you're trying to divide. Now he's gonna talk specifically about some people who are arguing about some biblical things. They're arguing about how to interpret or how to read or what this verse really means. They're getting nitpicky into some biblical things and they're fighting, 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 fighting over them. And Paul's saying, listen, that fight, it doesn't have any real value. It's not bringing anyone to life. It's not being helpful. Can I just, this is, this is one of those, those honest moments from your pastor, okay? It's hard sometimes to come up and, and preach all the time, preach the amount of time that I preach. And, and here's part, one of the things that's really difficult is the reality is if I'm doing my job, most of the time when kind of the message is landing, the takeaway is gonna be pretty similar. And if you come to church any amount of time, there's gonna be, why? Because I'm, I'm working off this material. I don't get to just wing it and make up material, okay? I'm working off this material. And this material all hangs around some pretty primary themes. The themes go a little something like this. You were created by God and he loves you. 
He desires relationship with you. And, and even though you've ran, you've rebelled, he has paid the price so that you can be forgiven. And all, you, all he wants from you is for you to love him back and take a step towards him. And every time you take a step, that's amazing. No matter how far away you are today, you can take a step and that's amazing. And your father in heaven is so excited for relationship with you. And the other half of that is, hey, be nice to each other. Recognize that every person you go eyeball to eyeball with is someone else that God thinks is amazing, that he designed in his image, that he created, and that has incredible value. And never, don't you dare devalue one of his kids because he loves them so much, just like he loves you. Give that love away to them. Jesus says all of the law and all of the prophets, that's all the first half of this book, hangs on these two simple premises. And so every time I preach, or anyone preaches from this pulpit, I hope, you should hear that theme come out because that's the story. That's our story. That's his story. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. And if we're getting that part right, then that's what matters. What you're not gonna hear me do very often is nitpick and argue over other pieces that don't bring life. Now we can have those conversations and we can debate, we can go, man, we're not really sure. Like, but you're not gonna hear me walk into these areas of just debate and fight and argument because there's no life in it. It's not our assignment here on earth and it's not my assignment as a preacher. And so sometimes it's tough because I don't get to just make stuff up. I gotta keep going back to the profound truth of God's incredible love for us. That's the story. It's the basic message and takeaway of everything we do. Paul's saying, stop getting into fights over all the other stuff, church folks. Stop arguing and bickering and dividing and wedging and splintering off because of it. It's like, that's not the plan. Verse 15, he says, now do your best. This is so good. He goes, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So he's used all these illustrations. He said, so you're like an athlete. You're like a soldier. You're like a farmer. And now he says, you're like a workman, a craftsman, right? You're a craftsman and you need to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now I love the picture here. If you look at the word for like correctly handle, it literally means makes straight cuts. And Paul's a craftsman. He makes, he makes tents, right? I don't, I don't sew. So I'm assuming that when you cut and sew things, you have to do it straight if you want it to work out. I'm just assuming. I think that's a pretty safe assumption, right? And Paul's saying, if, if you don't want to be embarrassed by the final project, the final product, right? Measure twice, cut once, right? Make sure your cuts are straight. Take a little time and make sure that you're not adding anything. You're not trying to make it, he's like, don't get so cute with it. Don't put a bunch of extra stuff on there. There is a very simple set of truths in here. Measure once, twice, cut once. Handle the word of truth accurately. Know it, draw a straight line, cut straight. That's the picture that he's given. He's like, you're like a workman. Do a good job. Now, I'm not too handy, but I've seen people who are handy. And it's very impressive to me when they take a miter saw and they get an angle and, a and it's like perfect and it fits right in. And I'm like, that's awesome, right? I can't do it. But when I see someone do it, I'm highly impressed. And Paul's like, you should be like that only with the word of God. You should work hard to be proficient so that you don't get taken on some wild thing 
when it comes to the word of God. He's like, that's how that works. Don't get cute. Make a right cut. Verse 16. It gets so good. He's like, and avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Oh, man. There's all kinds of godless chatter out there, isn't there? I started thinking about all the different kinds of godless chatter. There's so many kinds of godless chatter, like godless chatter that goes like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Right? That's godless chatter. Godless chatter is, is sometimes it's like, hey, let me tell you this story, but I, I want you to like me, so I'm just going to embellish it a little bit. becomes godless chatter. There's so much type of godless chatter. How about this? Here's this funny but inappropriate joke that's really demeaning or dehumanizing to a people group, but none of them are here, so let's make the funny. Godless chatter. Paul, time and time again, saying, it matters what you say. How about this? If I say this, this group might accept me, even though I don't really believe it or agree with it, but I want to be included. So here's some godless chatter. Here's the reality, guys. He's not saying don't shoot the breeze. Don't chit-chat. Don't talk about the weather. He's not saying don't have mindless chatter. Mindless chatter is fine. We have to build relationships, and it's fellowship, and it's okay. Godless chatter is something else. It's driving people away from the Lord. And when you do it, it's like an incremental shift. You become less and less like Jesus. And when you embrace it, you're just incrementally moving further and further away from becoming like Jesus. He's like, you can't have these two things in the same place. Some of you are right now thinking about some godless chatterers that you're like, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Some of you can't think of anybody and you might be the person. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) He's like, avoid godless chatter. He's not saying avoid people. But he's saying, avoid godless chatter. You've got to get out of the situation. It's time. Someone was looking at the clock. That's what you get for looking at the clock. Don't worry, we got lots of time. <laughs> Someone just beamed in on that. <laughs> if they walk in right now, that'll be a moment. Godless chatter. As we do that, we shift a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further away from Jesus. And then Paul calls somebody out. I love when Paul calls somebody out. He's, he's got no chill. He says they're teaching, talking about people who are just adding crazy stuff to the Bible and kind of dividing people all into groups. He says their teaching will spread like gangrene. What a visual and visceral illustration. Gangrene is gross. You know the, the, the predominant things about gangrene that everyone should know? The first thing is this, gangrene stinks. It smells rotten. It stinks. And he says, listen, when you start enabling godless chatter, when you start enabling little infights and, and, and letting people bicker about things that don't matter, when you start uh, not, not calling that out for what it is, then people who come into your group go, something stinks here. Something doesn't smell right. Like everything looks okay from the outside at first, but when I get close, How come when you guys get together and you guys all kind of carry this banner of followers of Jesus, but when you guys get together, the talk is so inappropriate and coarse and it's gross and it's godless. This stinks. This doesn't smell right. He says, avoid that because it smells and it spreads like gangrene. It stinks and the only way to get rid of it is to cut it off. They didn't have antibiotics or things that could fight it. If you got gangrene in a womb, they'd lop that off. 
They just did. And Paul says, this kind of behavior and teaching, it spreads like gangrene. It gets into a group. You've been in an office where that kind of starts up and so-and-so start talking smack about so-and-so and then you go in the other room and they're talking smack about so-and-so and then you get in the other room and there's this argument and fight and bickering and gossiping and it's unhealthy and it's gross and you're like, ah, I don't like it. And it stinks. And you're trying to go to work and you're just like, oh. you're like ramping yourself up. You're like, okay, this is gonna be, this is gonna get better. Like you're talking yourself into it, right? You're going to your group, your, your, your social area of connecting and you're just like, oh, we have to just avoid this person because here comes the drama, right? And he's like, it stinks. So cut it out. He goes, among them are, and I love it, he calls them out, Hymenaeus and Philetus. I made it through those names. I'm not gonna say them again. <laughs> I practiced a lot. <laughs> he says, you can't let gangrene spread. And look at how he says to deal with them. Verse 18, he says, they've wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection, and here's one of those particular issues he was arguing about. He says, they, res they say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Here's the reality. Adding to the truth of the Bible is toxic. Adding weight to it and adding extra stuff that God's truth, trying to bend it around to make your point. He says, don't take this and start with, I wanna make this point. I wanna justify this behavior or this action or whatever. So I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna bend it around to try to, I'm gonna take this part over here and bend it over to here and see if I can make it make my point. He says, cut straight lines, straight lines. Don't try to bend it and flex it. Don't get stuck into this. And they destroy the faith of some. Verse 19, Nevertheless, this is awesome, God's solid foundation, this thing stands firm and it's sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Whew, the Lord knows who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Listen, <laughs> I heard a pastor say it this way and I love this. He goes, the most encouraging thing that I could ever tell somebody is the Lord knows. You know what you've been going through? You're not alone. The Lord knows. You know how much God loves you? He knows. You know the hairs on your head? He knows. He knows what you're feeling, the pain that you're going through. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. You know, you know what that dream that you have? God put that in your heart, in your life. God knows. It's the most encouraging thing I could say to somebody. You know what the most terrifying thing I can say to somebody? The Lord knows. The Lord knows. Be aware, the Lord knows. Hey, you know that thing you think you're getting away with? The Lord knows. You know that thing that you thought but you didn't say, but you, yeah, the Lord knows. You know the thing you did say that you thought no one else was in the room and you could lie about it? Yeah, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Paul says, hey, you gotta act like a grown-up. You know why? Because the Lord knows. He knows who are his. He's paying attention. You're gonna have to be the grown-up in the room. You're gonna have to mature. You're gonna have to make decisions of, that take you towards maturity because the Lord knows. Then he says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Here's the thing that's so hard. Wickedness is so available in our culture. It's everywhere you go. There's wickedness available. Every time you grab your phone, every time you walk outside, every time you do anything, wickedness is just right there at your door. And he's saying, the Lord's 
uh, followers, they got to turn away from that. It was funny because I kept, I kept reading and I was thinking about like this visual of turning away. And it reminded me, one of the first times I was ever in, a, in a, like a men's group, like an accountability group, three or four of us guys, we were meeting for coffee once a week and just talking about life and our struggles and trying to sharpen one another and help each other grow. I was talking to one of the guys and he told me this story that when he was in, in youth group, his youth pastor had taught him uh, a, a phrase and he said, he said, so whenever I'm struggling and I might want to look at something I shouldn't look at, I, I, I was taught by my youth pastor to just bounce my eyes. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, bounce my eyes. So some, something, something catches my attention and I shouldn't look at it, I just bounce. And then I bounce. He's like, I physically move my head and I like bounce my eyes. I see something, I'm like, oh, just bounce your eyes, right? And I have this hilarious picture. He never like do it in public, but of him just like walking around like this, trying to bounce his eyes because there's so much wickedness out there, right? But that's basically what, what Paul is kind of articulating. He's saying, listen, just bounce your eyes. Look the other direction. Move away from the wickedness. It's so much, so plentiful. You're gonna have to make a distinction, a decision in your heart that when you see that, you're gonna move in the other direction and not move towards it. You gotta bounce. I don't know, you'll never forget that now, it's hilarious. Some of you are like, that's good, I'll teach my kid that. You should, it's good, it's helpful. <laughs> Make sure they limber up before they go outside. <laughs> Sometimes turning away from wickedness means turning away from people. And that's tough, that's tough. But Paul's already articulated the, these two guys. I won't try to say their name. He says, he says I, I, had to, I had to turn away from them, basically. doesn't say I, did, I quit loving them. doesn't say that I, I didn't pray for them. I don't hope for them to change. But I recognize the pattern of their behavior is so wicked that if I stay in close relationship with them, I can't not get contaminated. So I had to turn away from that. I had to bounce. And sometimes it's hard because we love the people still, but we can't join them when wickedness is going on. Paul's like, you gotta turn away. You gotta turn away. Verse 20, this is a funny illustration, but I'll try to make it make sense for you. He says, and in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble purposes. Now, other translations will say some are for honorable purposes and some are for dishonorable if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. What in the world does that mean? He goes, listen, we all got different stuff in our house. There's like our normal life stuff that we use, and then there's the china and the nice stuff for when somebody comes over and we want to give honor to them, right? So like if you were to eat, at, uh, uh, just be at my house on a normal day, uh, we'd probably have plates like this going on for the kids, right? Just, you know, little plastic ones or more likely than that, even paper ones if we have them, right? So we can just toss them and that's, you know, that's kind of just practical and pragmatic and normal and it's fine and it's good and it's not bad, but it's not our best. But if someone of honor was coming over, right? We'd bring out the, this is a communion plate. It's the best example I could find. It's totally cheesy because it's so, it's like way over the top. But can you imagine Pastor Mike eating off this? I'm just like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Like, there's just no way I would ever do that. I'd serve you on this and then I'd wake you uncomfortable to see if you would eat off of it. But, but, but what is Paul saying? He's saying that, that everything's in the house, but you get to make a decision. This common use or this noble use and the difference is how you respond 
to the wickedness and the things that you're exposed to. Are you, the more you turn away from them, the more noble use you represent to God and the more honor it gives to God when the master comes. And he says, you want to be that. He goes, you, they're, they're, you're both in the house. No matter what you're working through, you're in the house. Welcome to the house. But there's some noble use stuff that has made a decision by partnering with God and moving towards Jesus and not indulging in idle chatter that takes you further and further away. By moving towards God, he goes, it just, it just demonstrates to God honor and respect and that you love him back. And so that's like noble purposes. Hopefully that made sense to you. It's a tricky little, little analogy that, that we wouldn't necessarily use an analogy that way, but it makes sense. He says, when you cleanse yourself from the latter, you're an instrument of noble purposes. but you got to get rid of the wicked stuff and the godless chatter that you've been carrying around. Then verse 22, it says, and flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call out to the Lord, of, call on to the Lord out of a pure heart. And I love this. Time and time again, the scripture says, there's going to be times where you just got to run. We're not going to be standing up and fighting every temptation. Sometimes temptation comes and we don't just go, get there behind me. We go, ah, I'm out. Like, I just can't be in this environment. I'm out, right? And we see that in scripture. We see that with Joseph. We see that time and time again. Paul just saying, saying the same thing. He's like, sometimes you're just gonna see temptation and you're just the best thing you can do is run and just get away from it. But I love this because Paul says run, but he doesn't say run aimlessly, right? It's not, oh no, temptation. Oh no, temptation. Where am I going? I don't know where I'm going. I'm just stuck in the spiral. I don't know what to do. He's like, no, 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 no. You have to have a north. You have to calibrate your uh, internal uh, 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 compass. Thank you. You got to calibrate your internal compass towards something. And that will help you flee what you shouldn't be going toward. He's like, you've got to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So let me ask you the question. If we were sitting down and we were having kind of, you know, an accountable moment and, and, uh, and Brandon, I was just, I was having that conversation. I said, I was getting to your world a little bit. I said, and I were to ask this question. How would you answer this question? Hey, what are you pursuing right now? What are you really pursuing? What's the thing you're hoping for, dreaming for, counting on? What's the thing you'd sacrifice for? What are you really pursuing right now? And if you were to say, oh, I'm pursuing this and this and this, I'd say, okay, let's, let's measure how your time and, and resources are being spent. Are they being spent on that? Are you? Because that'll tell you what you're, if you're not sure what you're pursuing, look at your calendar. Whatever you're spending the most time with is the thing you're pursuing. Look at your checkbook. Whatever you're spending the most money on is the thing you're pursuing. When you lay down and, and finally all of the craziness is over, the thing you're focused and, 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 and your mind is racing over, over, and over again, that's the thing you're pursuing. And, and Paul's saying there's some things that you should be pursuing. So what are you pursuing? Where's the place you let your head go? What's the place you let your resources go? What's the place you let your energy go? Because that's the thing you're pursuing. And Paul's saying if you want to be mature, you're going to have to pursue some specific things. You're going to have to make some decisions to pursue the right things. <laughs> What does it look like to pursue faith? Oh, there's so many good stuff there. I'm going to get stuck. Let me move on. I want to get to the end and to make sure we, I'll give us some time for that. He says, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. This is a verse. You should write this down on a sticky note and you should put it on your phone and you should put it on your laptop and you should put it on your door before you walk out and you should put it over your mouth. And it says this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. 
He's like, listen, you know those dumb arguments you keep getting into because you're determined to win because you know you're right. Knock it off. Knock it off. You know that person who every time they post something, you're like, oh, here I go. Now you just, you just put it on a tee for me. I'm going to come in and knock it out the park. I'm so, just knock it off. Just don't have anything to do with them. Don't get sucked into dumb arguments. That's immature. He's like, you got to be mature and avoid. You're like, Pastor Mike, you're saying stupid and dumb in church. My kids are here. I'm sorry. It's in the word of God. It's like, don't be foolish and don't be stupid. And when you get locked into these arguments, that's what you're doing. When you start pursuing fights and, and quarrels, that, that they, there's nothing going to happen. There's, there, there's funny. One of the first, like, big dumb arguments that I had to face here in the church, it's, it's hilarious when you hear it, but I, I, I was here, we had, I, man, I've probably been here maybe three or four months, and, you know, we're just kind of getting things rolling, and I think this person came to the church. I'm not sure if they actually did because I didn't meet them, but they sent me this very long email. And it was very kind up front. And it was like, you know, I would love the service and you were great and all this, you know, butter, 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 butter. And here comes the smack. And he goes, uh, I think it was a he. I'm assuming it was a he. Um, <clears throat> he said, the thing that really bothers me is why do you allow, and brace yourself, ladies, why do you allow the women of the church to come to church without their head covered? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that was his thing. And he had some obscure reason for, you know, for believing. And there's cultures and places where that's respect and, and that's fine. But his angle was that should be happening and it's my responsibility to enforce that. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm reading this and I'm like, this is the thing. And it's pages, right? And I'm, I'm like scrolling through. I'm like, I don't know. This is crazy talk for me. And it's not even on my radar. Like how could someone, this could be the reason that you're not pursuing, like you can't pursue Jesus because you can't find a place where, I, again, so, so I'm having to have a question here. I'm like, okay, now I'm fired up, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to learn you, boy. Uh, <laughs> but I took a deep breath, and I was like, this isn't a productive argument. So I just wrote, I'm like, but I want to be kind. So I'll just write back and say, wow, that's, you know, an interesting thing. Here's what we believe about that. And, you know, if you want to have a conversation, I'd be happy to have it in person. Boom, here comes this pages of more emails. It's almost like a preset thing he must have sent everyone. Pages of more emails, why I'm wrong, and I don't know the word of God, and da 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 And then I just responded back. I said, you know what? Here's the verse. I don't want to get in the middle of a dumb argument. So let's agree that there's no life in this argument. So I'm not going to have it with you. <laughs> and the ladies all said, Amen. <laughs> right? <laughs> but that was his issue. He was fired up. And that's a stupid argument. And, and, and listen, there are so many stupid arguments we can get into. The best response is to just avoid walking towards them. He says they only produce quarrels. And here's how to manage it. Verse 24, he says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. And this is beautiful. This is Paul who people in the church have thrown rocks at him. People in the church have imprisoned him. People in the church have beaten him. He's got every reason to have beef. And he says, listen, the Lord's servant, I don't quarrel. I don't get drug into fights. I don't deal with meaningless arguments that have no life in them. Instead, listen to his methodology. He says, the Lord's servant must be kind. To who? People who agree with him? Nope. Kind to everyone. Kind to everyone. This is the same guy who's going to write, who previously wrote in Romans, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
that the most identifying quality of God to get change in our life isn't terror of God, authority of God, or power of God. It's God's kindness. He says, and instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Can you imagine being not resentful? He's in prison about to die because church people have turned on him. He says, don't be resentful. Don't hold grudges. He says, if you do that, you get into nitpicky fights, you surrender your credibility when it comes time to teach. People go, oh, I don't know if what you're saying is true or not. I just know I don't like you because you're always fighting and arguing and you're not kind and it's not nice and it comes off arrogant. And I don't, I just, I don't, I can't even hear what you're saying because I can't respect this ignoble vessel that's not being kind. Verse 25, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Gently instruct. Pastor Mike, why did God make me so good at arguing? and winning debates if he wanted me to gently instruct people? Why did he give me this gift of always being right if he (laughs) wanted me to gently instruct people? Come on. He says, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Listen to this. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, which is change, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. He says, we gently instruct, not trying to convince every person to agree with us. We gently instruct, hoping that God will change their heart so that they, we don't have to worry about their head anymore. We, we care about the person not winning the fight. And listen to this, verse 26, this is the end. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See, when we, when we lose somebody, somebody else is gaining them. When we, when we rip people apart with fights and we go, oh, we just lost them, somebody's gaining them. And Paul's saying, instead of caring about winning, and here's the thing I want you to catch. Sometimes when we try to win the, win the argument, when we feel like we have to win the argument, we often lose the person. And Paul says, hey, this is about the people that God loves, not about being right all the time, not about trying to bend them to your will and get them to agree with you. It's about caring for them, being kind to them, being gentle towards them, and trusting that God will hopefully change their hearts and bring them to repentance. But our job is kindness, Our job is gentleness. Our job is loving and compassion and demonstrating that. That's what maturity looks like, guys. Doesn't mean embracing them if they're wicked. We already talked about that. If they're wicked, we may have to create boundaries. But how we interact with them and how we treat them, that's on us. And our responsibility is kindness, gentleness, and loving them. That's what it says. And then we don't have to be right. We don't have to make them agree with us. God does the whole change thing. We don't do the change thing. So Jesus demonstrates this time and time again. He talks about a shepherd who loses a sheep, leaves the 99 and goes back and gets the one. He talks about a father whose son rejects him and he receives him back. It's always kindness, loving pursuit that changes hearts. It's never dominating, domineering, manipulation. You didn't decide to follow Jesus because someone dominated your will, mentally crushed you into submission. So a couple maturity questions and then I'll get us out of here. These are questions I want you to ask yourself based on this text because this will tell you, are you moving towards maturity or not? And Paul says, we gotta grow up here, guys. We gotta be the grownups in the room. A couple maturity questions and then we're done. He says, the first one is this, ask yourself this. Do I have accountability? 
Do I have accountability? Am I doing life in group or isolation? The Jesus model, the gospel model requires accountability. There were no lone rangers. Being a lone ranger, not having accountability will stunt your growth, period. You wanna move towards maturity. You wanna continue to grow. You gotta have some people in your life who ask you hard questions, who know you well enough to warn you before God and say, hey, This thing that you're saying, it sounds really good until I apply some Jesus to it. Now it feels a little wonky. Let's talk about that. The people in your life that you trust that can go there with you. Do I have accountability? Second maturity question. Who am I trying to impress? Who am I trying to impress? Am I playing the comparison game or am I trying to keep everyone happy by endorsing what I know is wicked? Am I being a plain vessel or a noble one? Am I living my life like God really knows? Is that the person I'm trying to impress or is it anybody else? Because if it's anybody else, you're moving away from maturity, not towards maturity. So who am I trying to impress? We're almost there. What am I pursuing? What am I chasing after? Is it faith, love, peace? Does that drive what I'm pursuing or am I pursuing something else? You know, I'm telling you, there's a whole message here on just this verse talking about what it looks like to pursue faith. What does it look like to pursue faith, to actually chase after faith? Faith is this thing that draws us to the unknown where we're dependent on God and his character for it to succeed. On the things and the dreams that we have for our lives and the way we're planning our life, is there a gap between what I can do and what God would have to do to get there? Is that, am I pursuing that or am I trying to close that gap so I can do it all on my own without God being in the picture at all? Is my whole life about closing the gap so I don't even need God anymore? Or am I positioning myself in faith where, God, if, he, God, if you don't show up, I don't know how this is gonna work, but I believe. Am I pursuing faith? What does it look like to pursue love? It's that agape love, that brotherhood love that sees the intrinsic value in every single human and says there is value in them and they deserve love and they're created in the image of God and they're worth it. Am I pursuing that? Am I chasing after that? Do I want that to be true? Am I believing it? Am I pursuing peace? Let's move on. Last one, do I fall for the drama? Do I fall for the drama? Do I get sucked in to stupid and foolish arguments? Do I get get lumped into things I shouldn't get lumped into? Is there the tensions breaking out and I jump in and I take a side and I get my two cents in there? Or am I able to calmly and gently instruct and speak life into people? Do I fall for the drama? Last thing I just want you to remember is this. Your words always have impact. Your words are powerful. Are they stupid and foolish words because they're gonna produce stupid and foolish fruit? Or are they kind and gentle and loving and inviting God and the Holy Spirit to change people's hearts? Those are are the power of your words. Paul says, when you're the adult in the room, you take your word serious. You're not flippant. You know, just kind of roll with it and see what'll happen. So let me ask you this. Can we be the adults in the room? Can we move towards maturity? Some of you are like, oh, this is like a lot. 
Well, remember the first part when I talked about the message is, 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 is that's always the same. Can we take a step towards that maybe today? What would a step towards maturity look like? Maybe it would look like getting an accountability partner, getting, getting into a, a community group, getting into a rooted group, taking a step and putting someone in, in your life. Maybe it would look like that. Maybe it would just be saying, you know what? I'm tired of trying to impress this group of people, and I'm going I'm to take, take a step back and say it doesn't matter to me if I impress them or not. I'm going to stand up for what I believe and I'm not going to get in the midst of godless chatter or wicked. Maybe it's moving away from some wickedness, and you know there's some wickedness. When I started talking about wickedness, there was immediate things. When I started talking about uh, just humorously bouncing my eyes, you're like, I need to bounce my whole life. Then I'm, I'm going in a direction I shouldn't be going. I need to bounce in a whole other direction. And, and maybe it's something like that. Maybe, maybe it's just you've been pursuing things that aren't leading to life. They're not leading to life. You're pursuing and you're chasing them. And, and there's, no, there's no maturity and growth in life. There's, no, there's none of that stuff's in there. Faith isn't even a part of the equation for you. And it's time to start pursuing faith. And it's time to start per- pursuing love. And it's time to start pursuing peace. And maybe you've just been falling for the drama too much. You got to get your last word in. You got to jump in and say the thing and kind of close the gap. And, and you see that person come and you're like, oh, yeah, here comes the fight. I'm ready. Or you, you log on and you're just looking to see if they, if they said something dumb that you're just like, oh, perfect. Prom. It's going to be great. It's like steak. This foolish and stupid argument. I'm just going to bite out of it. It's awesome. God's like, knock it off. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray and let you get out of here, but I just want to leave you with this thought. Can you imagine if this was a place where people were committed to moving towards maturity? People were committed to, to leaving some of this. Can you imagine the difference that would make? Can you imagine how outside eyes would view us if we didn't get stuck in stupid and foolish arguments all the time? How outside eyes would view us if, if when we disagreed with them, we treated them like people who were deserving of love and gentleness instead of kind of coming in harsh and hard trying to prove ourselves, right? If we were more concerned about the value of the person than the value of our opinion, I'm just saying, it could change the world change the city. It could change us. So Jesus, we welcome you. We're challenged. Ah, I feel it. <laughs> so hard to live like this, but you empower us. I thank you that I don't have to do it on my own, but you, you started with a conversation. There's a spirit in us that empowers us for this. And God, thanks that I'm in the, I'm in the house, whether I'm a noble or ignoble vessel, but I want to move more towards you. I want to I move more and become more like you. I want to be able to present your heart to a generation, a world that just needs to know how much you value and love them. I want to get that part right. I want to do it with kindness and with gentleness. So diffuse my frustration and anger and drown out the noise. Help me to run from wickedness and confusion and help me to pursue the things that you designed me to pursue and help me get out of the drama even though I cause it because I want to be like you. We want to be like you. We want to demonstrate that kind of love. I pray again for this upcoming week and the work you're going to do in lives not the church of tomorrow, but the church of today, these kids that come and serve and get blessed. Pray for our teens. Strengthen them all week long, I pray. Help them to realize that it doesn't matter if they're, if they're cleaning a toilet or cutting a snack or delivering a message. They are part of, of the gospel story for somebody this week. And it matters. 
So we want to partner with you and give our strength and our resources to reach as many people for you because it's about people. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.